For those of us who believe in the Creator, the Ten Commandments are gifts from the very hand of God. The first three commandments are about our relationship with the Lord. The fourth commandment is a bridge. Once a week, God walks out on the Sabbath bridge to meet us. But most of us are no-shows. We unapologetically stand up the Creator of the universe week after week. Thank you so much for joining Restoration Church here in Prescott, Arizona, as we conclude our four-week series of Sabbath. This week, Landon Myers dives into human the way we were made to be. Um, I hope that this teaching blesses you as we continue to practice the way of Jesus through Sabbath. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 2, our final week on Sabbath. I remember when I was a little kid, we'd go down to, to Phoenix or different places. Most of my, my family's in Phoenix, not my immediate family. but uh, And for Christmas, we'd have like 30 plus people or something. Maybe it just felt that way, but it was about that in a room. And, you know, you do a, a gift exchange or whatnot. And I would get really anxious about how I would present when I received a gift. I, I would be worried that... Maybe I wouldn't like it or something would happen and my, I, my face wouldn't be able to, to lie and know that I did or show that I did like it. And now it's shifted a little bit. I get a little bit of anxiety, not with like my immediate family here in Prescott, but if we're down in Phoenix or somewhere and extended relatives are super thoughtful and generous and kind, whether that's with their time or money or whatnot, and they give something to my children and my children start unwrapping it. And I get really anxious because there's like three things that could happen. One, they could just love it and be super thankful, and that's a win for everybody. Two, they could be like, oh, cool, where's the next present? Oh, cool, where's the next present? I'm like, oh, that's not great. Or three, sometimes kids are just really honest, and they go like, what is this? What am I supposed to do with this? And it's just awkward. And and I think sometimes I was processing Sabbath in that context today. God himself, the almighty God of the universe, has prepared this gift for us. And sometimes it's a little bit awkward. Sometimes we we unwrap this gift as we've been unwrapping it the past four weeks, studying it, practicing it, experiencing it, and we get it in our hands. We practice it for 24 hours in a week, and we go, what do I do with this? Is this actually needed? Does this actually matter? This kind of just used to matter, right? It doesn't matter anymore. Or maybe it's one of those things where you receive a gift and then you, you look at your spouse or maybe my kid looks at me and goes like, hey, how, how long do I actually have to keep this? Is there like a time period? Like, hey, we have, to, we have to display this for like two years and then you can ditch it and put it in storage or something like that. Maybe that's where you're at with Sabbath and you're going, hey, we did this practice. That's great. We did our four weeks. I think that's long enough. We can just put it on the shelf now, Right. I'm curious where you're at with this idea of Sabbath. And so this morning, we're going to dive into uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through, 28, 23 through 28, talking. It's kind of what I do for a living. It's hard, apparently. Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 23 through 28. We've already discussed this passage a little bit, but I want to dive deeper into three specific questions. Who was the Sabbath created by? When was the Sabbath created and and when is it relevant? And then lastly, why was it created? Let's go ahead and read this passage. On the Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. Okay, for us, as we read this initially, 
Oh, cool. They're on a walk and they're picking some grain. No big deal. But in the Jewish context, this is a big deal because they would have known that the rules, the regulations, the laws of the day prohibited them from picking the grain. So initially, if you're familiar with the Jewish context, you know this is going to be an issue. The author setting this up for us, Mark is. The Pharisee said to Jesus, look, why are they, his disciples, his followers, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He's making, they're making an accusation about Jesus because his followers are not obeying the rules. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions." Jesus goes, yeah, I know they're breaking your rules. Sometimes that's okay, though. And then he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Just want us to soak in that sentence for a second. We'll, we'll talk about the Old Testament. We'll talk about Old Covenant. We'll talk about New Testament, New Covenant. But just hear this one sentence. The Sabbath was made for man the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In this moment, in this passage that is oftentimes used as an excuse to not embrace Sabbath, the context is that there have been about 1,500 amendments Think about our Constitution and amendments. 1,500 amendments made to the law God gave. God gave a, a law to Moses and said, this way of life will be good. Here it is. And then people eventually went, you know what, God, your law is not good enough. We're going to add about 1,500 amendments and extra rules. And so this is, this is really critical. When Jesus is saying that the law was not necessarily important, that these, these laws that he's discussing didn't matter anymore, that's true. That is the truth. Jesus said that. But he only said that in reference to the amendments, not to the original law. He is by no means, it's totally incorrect to think that Jesus is saying Sabbath is not relevant. He's speaking of the amendments. So now I want to answer those three questions. Who made Sabbath? When was it made? And when is it relevant? And then lastly, why was it made? And this is how we're going to close our series. Jesus, if you notice in verse... 28, he refers to himself as the Son of Man and Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a, a reference to the Old Testament and the prophet Daniel who referred to the Messiah as the Son of Man. So what Jesus is doing here is very clearly calling himself the Messiah. He's saying, I am the one who everyone is waiting for. I am the answer. And then he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. So let's pause for a second, just so there's total clarity here. The Lord of the Sabbath would be the one who created the Sabbath, who instituted it in the first place, who gave it as law back in Exodus and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament with Moses. And that would be Yahweh God, the one true God. And Jesus refers to himself, the Son of Man, as Lord of the Sabbath. Do you see the connection here really quick? Just so we have no, no doubt, here's what Jesus is saying. I created, I made Sabbath. Now we're going to do some, some translation work here. It's very complicated. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Here's how you can translate that. And this matters deeply. Jesus made Sabbath for 
you. Who made Sabbath? Jesus made Sabbath for you. Jesus made Sabbath for you. This isn't like receiving a a crummy gift that you pretend, oh, this is just wonderful. (laughs) This isn't just somebody that you kind of know, say, hey, here you go, I got you something. Or a distant relative that maybe doesn't know. This is the almighty God of the universe, the creator of all that is good, the friend who who doesn't just say, or you might not say, yeah, that friend would would have my back. They'd die for me. I'd go to war with that person. That's not not Jesus. Jesus did. (laughs) He already gave up his life on the cross for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself, which if we're honest, we all love ourselves quite a bit. And he said, here, I made this for you. What's that like? He's given this gift, right? And there's this extension. Like when, when you're given a gift, you have to reach out and grab it. And maybe in our, our culture and context, you unwrap it, right? You take the wrapping paper off and, and you do something with it. What's that like? Where are you at in that process with this gift called Sabbath that God has given? Is it awkward? Are you wondering, is this gift any good? Is it worth it? How long do I have to pretend? Jesus made Sabbath for you. That's critical. Second question, when? There's, there's two keys we have to understand about the when of the Sabbath day, and they're these. The Sabbath was made pre-curse and pre-covenant. The Sabbath was designed pre-curse and pre-covenant. I've talked a little bit about both, but I want to dive in for a second. Pre-curse means this. Before there was sin, Before there was brokenness and hurt and harm, before there was sickness and death and tears and destruction and racism and injustice and all kinds of things that are that are just not whole, that are broken, that are brutal in our world. Before any of that existed, or another way to say it is while everything was good and perfect, when God Himself looked out at creation and said, It is good, Sabbath was a part of that. And and here's something maybe a little bit astonishing if we're honest about it, because we don't think about this. Oftentimes, when we think about the scriptures, our whole focus is just on salvation. We sing songs about Jesus dying on the cross. He rose from the grave. We get to go to heaven. That's all true and good. That matters a lot. Don't get me wrong. But theology, the Bible doesn't start there. It didn't start in Genesis 3 and say, hey, there's a big problem, sin and death, and there's brokenness, so Jesus needed to come. The scriptures start with Genesis 1 and 2 with those three words, it is good. Notice, over and over and over and over again, go read Genesis 1 and 2 later, you'll read, it is good. And God saw it and said, it is good. And God saw it and said, it is good. He didn't get to Genesis 3 and go, shoot, I'm God. I'm all powerful and almighty and all knowing, like I don't mess up, but wow, I just blew it with earth. I just, I just got it all wrong. These people earth, the whole humanity. I messed up. I got it. He doesn't say that. He says sin came in and distorted because he gave a freedom of choice, but he does not say that he messed up. And therefore his plan is not wipe away the earth and people and start over somewhere in the sky because that's going to fix things. His plan is I'm going to restore what I said it is good about. I'm going to make it new, renewed, restored, redeemed not start totally over in a different location. Sabbath was part of God's design 
from the beginning before salvation was needed. And in terms of covenants, maybe that language is familiar. If so, this is for you. If not, you can just mute me for like two minutes. If you want to think about a Mosaic covenant, God's covenant with Moses, or a Davidic covenant, an Abrahamic covenant, as we look through multiple covenants in the Old Testament, Sabbath existed before any of them. That matters. I want to be really clear about one thing. Because Sabbath existed, pre-curse and pre-covenant, here's what this means. Sabbath has absolutely nothing. Sabbath has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Take that in and understand that. Sabbath has nothing at all to do, no correlation, no bearing on salvation. It was made before there was a need for salvation. But that by no means makes Sabbath irrelevant. Sabbath is not a crutch. God didn't look at humanity in the midst of of sin and brokenness, the brokenness you feel in your own life, sometimes relationally, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally. Like we all experience that brokenness. You know what I'm talking about? Those why God moments. Why would you allow this? How do I get through this? What's happening? God didn't look down as if he was surprised and go, oh no, still can't believe I did this whole earth thing. That was awful. What a mistake. I need to give them a crutch just to get through until Jesus comes. Let's give them Sabbath. And then once Jesus gets there, Sabbath won't. That's not what happened. Again, Sabbath was created before there was a need for salvation. Let's go back to Jesus' words. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So that leads to our third question. Jesus made Sabbath when? Before there was ever needed for salvation, precursor and pre-covenant. So why did he make salvation? Because he knows you and he loves you, and he wanted to give something that is good. I think sometimes we we get stuck when we start talking about Sabbath in this huge canyon and chasm because of the language of salvation. And we go, is Sabbath needed for salvation? No, then Sabbath doesn't matter. That's just a false dichotomy. That's not how it works. Sabbath was created because it is good, because God wanted what was best for you. He wanted you to have healthy relationships, healthy work and cultivation to enjoy the good in this world that he made, and Sabbath helps us do that. So do you have to embrace Sabbath? No, absolutely not. Does it have anything to do with your salvation? No, none at all. But Jesus said he made it for you. He extended this gift for you. How will you respond to that? Jesus made Sabbath for you. I think one of the issues is we we view this book, the Bible. Maybe you've heard the the acronym basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not helpful at all because the Bible just doesn't talk about that. But sometimes I think we, we view this book, the Bible, the scriptures, as like a a schedule, a departure schedule, an arrival schedule for trains. And we go, hey, how do you get on the right train at the right time? When is it going to happen? When is Jesus going to come back so we can get on this train that goes to heaven and we can spend eternity there singing songs and floating on clouds or whatever our image of heaven is? And when we do that, we miss what Sabbath is. It's this good gift. Who made it? Jesus who loves perfectly and is the only one, the only person who's trustworthy always, no matter the moment. 
When did he make it? Before there was sin, before there were covenants, when nothing was there except what is good. It's still relevant now. And why? Because he just wants what's good for you. As we come in our our last week of Sabbath, there's so many things I want to discuss. And what I'm drawn to is the what's of Sabbath. What what is Sabbath? How do we go about it? What what does it entail? What can you do? What can you not do? All of that. And that matters. But the the Hebrew idea of knowledge, the Hebrew concept of knowledge is really different than ours. Ours so often is take a test, memorize some info, read a book, no words, information, and then that'll lead to transformation. The Hebrew concept of knowledge is not that way. There's information, but there's experience. And that's why we have these practice groups. Because to know Sabbath, I, sure, I can talk about it. But really, you just have to practice it, experience it, dive into it. So I don't want to spend very much time on the what's of Sabbath in our last week. But there is one what is Sabbath question, or one point of what Sabbath is that I, I think is incredibly critical. And I'll be honest with you, I did not think about it until Friday. I had a whole another sermon planned, and I just scrapped it because it just hit me on what Sabbath really is, I think, at its deepest level, and that's this. Sabbath is humility. Sabbath is humility. Sabbath is surrender. To an extent, Sabbath is giving up in all the right ways. Sabbath is saying, I can't and I won't. Now, now here's the thing. There's some of you this morning that somewhere inside of your soul and your heart and your gut, like that feels disgusting. That makes you want to vomit because our culture says, I can and I will. I will put my head down and I will keep fighting when I can't anymore. There's all the opportunity in the world for me. It's just up to me to go do it. Will I work hard enough? That's our culture's messaging often. Sabbath is humility. Sabbath is surrender. Sabbath is the grace of the gospel to say it's not about you. It never has been. It's about God and you're not him. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is one of my my favorite passages of scripture. Paul's writing to a church just like us in a place called Philippi. It's a very prominent city during the Roman Empire. And here's what Paul writes to that church. A group of people, they didn't go to a building and hear sermons and songs. They were people following Jesus and the everyday stuff of life together. So it made them a church like us. Here's what he says to them. He says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Or another way to say that is have the same mindset, way of thinking as Jesus did. Who existing, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man and has an external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to reread verses 6 and 7, and I want to have each of us compare it to ourselves, which is always frightening. 
Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God. Let's think about that for a second. Jesus, who is God, did not use the fact that he is God as something to be used for his own advantage. But though he was God, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, and he humbled himself. Think about this. The almighty God of the universe, the creator, the savior, and the sustainer, did what? In humility, emptied himself, becoming a man. Now, what do we do on the other hand? Though we do not exist in the form of God, though we are not filled with all knowledge and power and ability and opportunity, we do the opposite of what Jesus did. Rather than empty ourselves and submit to his love and humility, we swell up with pride and say, I can and I will. Rather than, than coming to Jesus and surrender and humility and saying, you are enough and I'm not, that's worship, we just sprinkle Jesus on our life, add him to some of the things we do in the different compartments. Maybe it's one day a week. But we don't say, I need you, like we just sang. Do you live that out? I need you, Jesus. Rather than emptying ourselves, we become more and more full of ourselves in our attempt to control the circumstances around us. Jesus gave up control to give up his life on a cross. More than anything, what is Sabbath? Sabbath is humility. Sabbath is saying there is really good news, and his name is Jesus, and I am not him. Sabbath is giving up control and saying this is the best thing for me, God is God and I am not. We struggle with that. That's why, that's why Sabbath, I think, is so important. It's why Sabbath is going to be so hard. There's many of you that are going to struggle with this again and again and again because it's going to break pride down. And when we break pride down or Jesus breaks pride down in us, it hurts. It's hard. It's hard to go, I am not enough. It's hard to go, I can't make it happen. But it's only when we do that, that Jesus himself lifts us up. I, uh, I'm going to take a, a couple minutes here. I just want to read you a variety of the scriptures, some Old Testament, some New Testament, uh, a lot from the wisdom literature, so the Proverbs and Psalms, but some from the prophetic, some from the epistles. So a variety of literature throughout the, the scriptures. And just take this in, because I think, I think we neglect this. I have literally probably 70 verses here. I'm not going to read 70. I'm just going to pick and choose. But feel the scope of this. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. James 4, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Isaiah 66, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Proverbs 3, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. 
Psalm 25, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Second Chronicles, if people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their lands. Jeremiah 9. Check. Oh, I still need it. I think it's red. Uh, no, let's bring it. Cool. Thank you. Jeremiah 9, 23. No worries. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Sabbath is humility, not passivity. Doesn't mean there's no action. Doesn't mean there's not challenge. There is. But first and foremost, Sabbath is humbling ourselves to let God be God because that's the best thing for us. In uh, Luke chapter 18, I want to I wanna go ahead and end with this. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus has already started his ministry People are beginning to question and wonder and believe that he is the one, that he is the Messiah, that he is God. He's performing miracles and teaching in ways they've never experienced. Crowds are following him. And then we pick up in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus is, is on the way to, to Jericho. And here's what we read. As he, Jesus, drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. All right, here's the, the picture. This blind man is sitting by this road or standing where he probably sits or stands often begging for money because that's the only way that he's provided for. His other senses are probably really heightened because he relies on them. He can't see, but he can smell the, the mixture of dust and the urine of animals and the carts rolling by. He hears and, and he can feel the, the dust swirling around in the air caked on his arms. And then he notices something different. He can sense energy. And he knows, you know what, this isn't the normal amount of traffic that, that passes by on these parts day after day after day. And so he asks the question, what's going on? I can't see, but I know something different is happening. And so we read this in verse uh, 36. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. He can't see, but he asks what's going on. And the response is, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. In verse 38, here's what happens. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then check out this response. I love this. Then those in front of him told him to keep quiet. This man cries out to Jesus and he faces opposition. They told him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I picture at this time he's sitting on the dusty road. His eyes are closed, but his senses are just going crazy. He hears that the one who can actually do something, the one who loves perfectly, the one who heals, the one who all of humanity's hope 
lies in his hands, is nearby, and he cries out again. And I can just picture the people who the first time just said, be quiet, this isn't about you. Now they look at him and they say, shut up, because this is not your moment. And the blind man cries out again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again and again and again until finally Jesus takes notice. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly he could see And he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That man, that blind man went through a lot to have proximity to Jesus. He faced opposition. He faced people that told him this doesn't make sense. He faced friends or maybe neighbors that that got in his way and thought he was crazy. Humiliation. He faced culturally people going, this isn't about you. You don't understand. What are you doing? Yet he kept crying out to have proximity with Jesus because he knew Jesus was worth it. Here's the thing, though. You and I don't have to do that. We don't have to cry out. We don't have to make a scene. We don't have to wonder and yell. Jesus already set the date and the time. Matter of fact, he's he's pretty flexible with it. He said it doesn't matter if it's the seventh day. It doesn't matter if it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday. Just pick a day, and I want to be with you on that day because I've called it holy and blessed. You might remember uh, I quoted John Mark Comer, I think, the first week, and he said this about the Sabbath day. Our God does not have a holy space. He has a holy time, the Sabbath This God is not found in the world of space, in a temple, on top of a mountain, at a spring, around a state or a monument, or in a church building, or in our case, turf. He's found in the world of time. Uh, Another quote, who I still can't find. Where's Aaron? Aaron, who who was this by? Do you know? You don't remember? I looked it up, and now it's gone. Anyway, it's a great quote by somebody. It says this, For those of us who believe in the Creator... The Ten Commandments are gifts from the very hand of God. The first three commandments are about our relationship with the Lord. The fourth commandment is a bridge. It connects heaven and earth, God and people. Once a week, God walks out on the Sabbath bridge to meet us. But most of us are no-shows. We unapologetically stand up the creator of the universe week after week. In Revelation, Jesus paints this picture and he says, I stand, behold, take notice, Behold, take notice, here in this moment, I stand at the door and I knock. Whoever hears me and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. Week after week, Jesus stands and knocks on the door of our worries and says, I am enough, I'm in control, I can provide. Week after week, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks in the midst of our wants and he says, I am the creator of all that is good, I will provide for you, it will be good. may not be right now, but I will provide. Week after week, Jesus stands at the door of our work and says, well done, this is enough, and you'll start again tomorrow, but take a break and enjoy what's been done. Yet for most of us, week after week after week, Jesus keeps knocking, and then he knocks some more, and then he knocks, and he's met with silence. Why? 
Most of us are too busy wanting, working, and worrying to open the door for Jesus. We pray about all kinds of things. Jesus, I need help with this. Jesus, why that? Jesus, help in this area. He says, I did. I gave this time, and I'll be there. It'll be holy and blessed. We say, no, I want you to answer my prayers on my terms. Sabbath is humility because we don't get to follow God on our terms. It is following for a reason. We follow. He leads. My kids are, are taking piano lessons right now. And it's funny, anytime you, you talk about lessons that a kid is taking with an instrument, the most common thing I hear time after time after time from adults is this, man, wish I would have stuck with that when I was a kid. But it's too late now. I promise you, Sabbath will be one of those things that you will say, man, I wish I would have stuck with that. And it's not too late now. We practiced Sabbath yesterday. It was mediocre. We did some parts of it good, some parts of it not so good. It's the journey. It's not going to be easy, but I believe it's worth it because it's a gift from Jesus. Jesus made Sabbath for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Holy Spirit, we are... Every single one of us, whether it comes out in insecurity or arrogance, we are filled with pride. We are so good at trusting ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just convict us of that. Overwhelm us not to trust us, but to trust you because you alone are trustworthy. We thank you for this gift of Sabbath. Spirit, I pray that you would just overwhelm people with your love right now. Overwhelm them with power to grasp how great you are. May you use this gift you've given us to, to bless the families, the marriages, the workplaces, the humanity of we as, as Restoration Church, and may that extend into our community. We look to you always. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning into our final week of Sabbath, human the way we were made to be. Um, if this is your first week, welcome. Uh, we invite you to jump back and listen to our first three weeks of Sabbath. We believe this is a practice that is so valuable and will pay back dividends, not only in our relationship with Jesus, but in the places we live, work, study, and play. Um, to learn more about Restoration Church, please go to restorationaz.org. Until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.